so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. Television advertising shouldn't be hard. That's why Mountain's self-serve platform makes advertising on connected TV easy and effective for all brands, big and small. With access to premium streaming networks and technology optimized to drive performance, you have a new way to drive website visits, conversions, and every other metric that matters. Visit Mountain.com to learn more. Today's guest on the AW360 podcast is Mike Sepso, CEO of Vindex. As a former executive at Activision, Mike has extremely interesting insights in gaming and esports and discusses how brands can enter the live streaming world as well as how best to solve the various roadblocks in the media buying process. I hope you enjoy this episode. Mike Sepso, welcome to the AW360 podcast. I'm glad to have you on today. I am glad to be here, Richard. Thanks for having me. It will be a, uh, probably not a distant memory, but a memory nonetheless by the time anybody hears this, but you are on site in Davos right now. I am, yes, in May, not, not January. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a little sleepy or my questions don't make sense or your answers are all over the place, <laughs> uh, we're just you know preparing the listener in advance, but you are CEO of Vindex. Tell us about Vindex and what you guys do. Sure. So Vindex is a um, gaming technology and infrastructure platform. We we kind of have our roots in esports. Um, that's my background, the most of my career, um, and I guess sort of what I'm known for. Um, but we've built a pretty expensive company that covers a, a B to B to C platform. So we work with most of the big video game publishers to design and operate and broadcast their uh, esports leagues and content. Um, more recently have gotten into more kind of metaverse applications and interesting stuff in, in that realm. Um, we also have a uh, consumer platform called Belong Gaming Arenas, which is a mix of a virtual kind of software driven uh, engagement platform for gaming consumers and esports enthusiasts. But we also have actual physical real world sites, um, usually in, in shopping centers and places like that, where um, amateur esports enthusiasts um, and gaming fans can kind of build community and also compete in real world competitions on on real professional esports equipment. And that network is connected and it's a series of locations between the UK and the US right now that we're growing out. And then more recently, we launched the Vindex Intelligence Platform, which if you think about sort of our touch points across the whole industry, covering the creator economy in gaming, covering professional esports broadcasting across Twitch and YouTube gaming and places like that. We've been for the past couple of years um, creating an enormous capability to ingest and warehouse data. And we've built um, a bunch of different algorithmically driven insights platforms on top of it that will help a variety of different constituents from creators themselves to video game publishers. And ultimately um, through a partnership we just created with the IAB, what we hope will be a um, very popular and effective tool for media media buyers and advertisers. Excellent. Well, that's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Yeah. And fortunately <laughs> for me, um, actually in a, in a particular area that I have a keen interest as 
something of a, I wouldn't call me an amateur gamer. I'm too old to be an amateur gamer, but I'm definitely a long time gamer. I'm definitely not very good either. But nonetheless, we've been hearing a lot about, you know, over the past many years, you know, decade or more about esports and how it's sort of sort of poised to take over the, the sports world or at least compete with it. What is, yeah. if you don't mind my asking, what is the current state of esports in terms of sponsorship revenue relative to, you know, live regular traditional sports? Um, so I would say in terms of particularly sponsorship revenue, it's, it's probably a bit depressed coming out of COVID because a lot of the sponsorship revenue was dependent on sort of big live events, which, um, one thing that esports did well compared to traditional sports during COVID lockdowns was continue to broadcast lots of content. Mm-hmm. One thing it hasn't been able to do as effectively as traditional sports is come back to the live part of the business, but that is starting to come back now. Um, so I don't have a top line figure for you um, to date. It's a little difficult to kind of aggregate and quantify all of the different sponsorship deals across esports. And one thing to keep in mind is, you know, it's common to sort of talk about traditional sports, football, soccer, tennis, whatever, and then esports as if it's another sport. Esports is like a parallel universe of sports. There is a football and a soccer and a baseball and a basketball in esports, and so. Um, you know, it's hard to pinpoint purely sponsorship revenue, although we do see it coming back pretty quickly. We also see really different and unique and interesting monetization models. And one of the reasons that we created the Vindex Intelligence platform is because if you think about what's happening to the underlying gaming business, it's switched really rapidly from primarily a kind of traditional point of sale model, meaning I sell, you know, I make a game, I sell it to you and you go play it and I keep that money mm-hmm. to a free to play model, primarily free to play model. So over 80% of all gaming revenue worldwide now is generated by games that are free to play. So the model's different and that requires things like esports to maintain long-term engagement. So a lot of game publishers have switched their mode from purely trying to drive a traditional sports, you know, sponsorship and media rights model around esports to a more mixed hybrid model where you really want to take advantage of how much in-game engagement um, and player engagement and hours of play esports can help create. And so we're helping to measure that as well. So I think one of the things that we've seen come out of COVID is that while there's a lot that the esports world can learn from and, and mimic and, and sort of optimize from the traditional sports world, it really has its own attributes and it potentially has a much bigger, much more interesting um, much more diverse business model. Interesting. And so, you know, one of the things I noticed, particularly during COVID, and I'm not sure if it was just happenstance that, you know, I landed on this, but I remember flipping through the various, you know, I don't know if there's four or five ESPN channels anymore, but I landed on one, I think it was ESPN two, and was kind of surprised to see, oh, you know, they're, they're actually playing competitive Gran Turismo on there. You know, they're, they're racing around a track. It's, you know, all completely virtual esports. And yep. it felt a certain amount of, you know, as a gaming enthusiast, felt a certain amount of vindication that, you know, okay, well, you know, hey, this is now on ESPN. That's pretty great. Ignoring the fact completely that, you know, the other platforms that gaming and esports take place on generally probably have as much, if not more, of an audience. What does that audience look like in 2022 coming out of the pandemic? And, and how fragmented is it, you know, between, you know, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook Live, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. Well, in terms of live, Twitch is still certainly the dominant platform, although I would say um, YouTube 
live and YouTube gaming content and live specifically has gotten a lot of traction, especially during COVID. Um, Facebook Live is still pretty far behind, but in particular games and in and more importantly, in particular regions of the world, um, it's performed really well. And I think it's surpassed Twitch and YouTube in some places. So that's definitely happening. One thing I want to tell you, though, because I, I hear this a lot and just quick, quick bit of history on me. The reason I launched Vindex is because 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago in 2002, um, I co-founded a company called Major League Gaming or MLG. Mm-hmm which was really kind of the first big Western esports league. And that, that model was we actually licensed the rights to games from the big publishers and we built kind of a NASCAR style circuit around those games. We actually did a TV deal in 2006 with NBC sports and we aired the MLG pro circuit from 2006 on USA network, which if you remember back then was the highest rated cable network. And we actually followed um, the highest rated show on that highest rated cable network, which was WWE raw. So um, I often hear this and I have heard this in the past, you know, I guess that was now 16 years ago. When will this be on TV? Um, it's, been <laughs> on TV. <laughs> it's been on TV quite a lot. And in fact, um, I don't remember exact year, but I want to say in the 20 teens, um, we actually also did a partnership with ESPN and we made MLG events, a metal event in the X games. Um, so it, it does have a broadcast television sports history. It also has an ESPN history um, and has got an NBC sports history. And so periodically um, throughout the past 20 years of my career in esports, we have brought it to TV. But the one thing that's been true sort of across the board is this audience, whether it was in 2006 or 2000, uh, 2022, this audience is a digital native audience. And the one thing I can tell you for sure is, well, we did get an audience in 2006 on USA Network. We did another one in 2007 on the G4 Network, and that was still a thing on Comcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happened since is this new generation, this kind of Gen Z gamer and esports fan, is a completely digital native. I, you know, I, w- I was trying to explain here in Davos um, to a working group meeting about how you know we're all sort of sitting around in our 40s, 50s, and 60s talking about the metaverse. And there are 15-year-olds laughing at us because they've been having you know, social meetings in Fortnite for forever. They don't understand the, the input device. If you were to give a 15-year-old today a cable box remote control, they wouldn't know how to turn on ESPN or maybe not even know what ESPN is. <laughs> the, today, if you give them a, you know, a mouse and a keyboard, they can find any kind of content they want. They are self-selecting and driving a lot of engagement through platforms like Twitch and YouTube, specifically through both esports, professionally produced esports content, but also creator content. And one of the more interesting stats that's come out in the past year is the average gamer in, um, I believe it's the four largest gaming markets, but it is especially US and UK. Um, the average kind of core gamer is spending about 16 hours a week gaming and about eight hours a week watching gaming content. So full day a week dedicated to this content, whether they're playing or, or streaming. Um, and usually they're doing some bit of both at the same time. So highly, highly engaged audience for hours at a time. And this is one of the things that we, when we've been monitoring through our VIP platform is how much time are they spending? Who are they? Um, what's their behavior? How does it different from traditional sports? Um, 
and you're seeing some really, really interesting stuff. But the most important thing I'll tell you is, you, you know, I, I grew up in the eighties. I'm a sports fan. I'm still a big Yankees fan. I'm a, um, I'm a very sad Knicks fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I can't, you know, I can't stay engaged in a traditional sport as a viewer anywhere near as long as your typical esports fan will watch esports content or game, you know, just general gaming content created by a big creator. So from an advertiser's point of view, um, one of the things that we started to measure was sort of traditional, you know, our own version of kind of traditional ad metrics, meaning reach and frequency. Um, and you see these, this real disparity between different types of content or even just different creators and depending on the games that they focus on, whether you have streamers or creators or, or rights holders that are broadcasting esports that have, you know, hold, hold an audience of call it 10 or 20,000 viewers for five, six hours, or whether you get an average minute audience around that, but actually are reaching, you know, cycling through um, multiples of that audience and reaching tens of thousands over the course of that period of time of unique cure. So you get kind of a mix of both on these platforms, especially Twitch um, that, you know, I think is this incredibly rich field of play for advertisers to get creative and come up with new types of creative and new types of messaging and even integrate in content. And all of that is really available on these platforms. It sounds like quite the challenge to actually be measuring so many people watching so many different games in so many different ways across so many different platforms. How do you make that all work? Well, we, we started, um, so Vindex is a not quite three-year-old company, um, but we started with a bunch of industry veterans and we kind of hit the road with a bit of scale really quickly. So we've been operating, you know, helping to design and operate and broadcast professional esports leagues for most of the big game publishers for that entire three-year period and in a little bit before some of the groups that we started with were acquired at the beginning of index um and these are the people that you know produced the the team itself has again you know many of them are from the original mlg team that was acquired by activision blizzard helped launch the overwatch league and the call of duty league and have moved on and some of the other teams did things like the Fortnite world cup at arthur ash stadium so there's a rich history of capabilities there what we did when we started that part of the business was we also invested in building a really um, very, very robust um, data ingest in, in warehousing capability. Um, back when, you know, investors would give you uh, credit and put a lot of value on you for being ambitious and about growth and spending a lot of capital to kind of create um, big ambitious things. We were able to do that a few years ago or two years ago. And so we've built this giant ingest capability so that we could pull in just tons of different data about how people were behaving on these platforms and also how that behavior corresponded to platforms like Twitter or Reddit and other platforms. And so we've continued to ingest more and more. And the idea was if we can ingest, you know, every minute or every five minutes, kind of a heartbeat of what's happening across these platforms it will start to tell stories to us. It'll start to provide a narrative about what's what's happening because you'll be able to use an algorithmic approach and we're starting to get more into machine learning to determine kind of what are the patterns, uh, you know, how is this viewer different than a, than, you know, me or you watching a basketball game on ESPN? How, how's that behavior different? And we are just starting to see some really interesting stuff. So we use that data for the past couple of years to help optimize um, our own capabilities when we're producing esports broadcasts. Um, so we've we've created some really interesting insights. Like for instance, 
in most games, um, the audience doesn't like to watch replays. And replays actually perform worse than long ad breaks in some cases. They just want to see the action. And I think that's really you know, it's a tiny, yeah, tiny little data point that's counterintuitive to every sports fan in the world who likes to see replays. Yeah. But I think one of, one of the reasons is because the audience is a digital native. We're used to linear television, right? You, you yeah. Know, these, so they've already seen it. <laughs> they've seen it. They can go back and look at it later on YouTube or see the see the replay, you know, like they just rewatch the stream on Twitch. But also they're used to seeing many hours a day of the same content. Not like, you know, a two hour game three times a week. So it's a it's a whole different sort of, you know, operating, um, I guess, methodology or different, very different behavior. I think the other thing is what we've started to see is, I hope what we can unlock for advertisers is a more native approach to how to associate brands um, with the right kinds of content to appeal to this audience. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I've kind of grew up in the traditional media world. Most of my career has been in digital, but it's still been based on kind of the same analogs. Sure. You know, if you remember in the nineties, we were selling page views, just like magazine impressions. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to kind of video impressions that tried to mimic television and the, and the mode was like sort of very linear. So you were selling a channel, not a type of content necessarily. And I think if you think about this audience and how advertisers should approach it, what an advertiser would think is, I don't necessarily want to attract a certain, I don't want to, you know, target a certain demographic on a platform like Twitch. I want to associate my brand with a game or a group of creators. So call it, you know, I want to associate my brand with Fortnite or Roblox, or I want to be associated with a particular set of creators who I really like because I understand their fan base or that game's fan base. And I really want to kind of integrate with that. You can't really just go to Epic and say, put my commercials in Fortnite. That's not going to happen. But what you can do is look at a cross-platform approach. So you might focus on Twitch because there's a lot of Fortnite content there, and we can help you figure that out. We should also be able to help you build a really robust media plan that focuses on integrating your brand in a really authentic, native way for Fortnite audiences across Twitch and Twitter, um, Reddit, you know, YouTube, other platforms, and associate it also laterally with creators who are, you know, sort of could be associated with your brand. So if you think about it, it's kind of rather than building a media plan on a channel, you know, with certain reach and frequency component and a particular demographic target, you can actually build a cross, you know, an omni-channel plan that associates your brand with a particular type of content or a particular game. Mm-hmm or particular set of creators. Fascinating. You know, one of the things that, that I've noticed as, you know, in my 10 years with Advertising Week is just the the desire for people to want to understand advertising to the gaming audience, to the esports audience. But it feels like with each step forward, there's also a step back, a hesitation. You know, lately, mm-hmm. you know, it's it becomes, every few years, it becomes the, the big shiny object that seems brand new and different, even though it really has just been evolving over time and growing. And it, it feels to me like one of those, one of those things that is unavoidable. I mean, you really do need as a brand to be, you know, doing something in, in, yeah. in, in gaming and esports. What is your advice to those who have had that reluctance or, I mean, even I dare say fear of, of getting involved? I think fear is the right word. I, I think that in many ways, 
the advertisers have been told by a lot of times by, you know, kind of specialist domain expert agencies to be afraid, to be so petrified that if you're not authentically a gamer and you don't really get it, this whole gaming audience is going to hate you and there's no coming back. That, you know, are my friends, complete bullshit. That's never been the case. Yeah. Gamers are not a unified force, right? There are, there are multiple communities. I mean, 80, 90% of Gen Z consider themselves gamers. They're, they don't culturally act the same way. They don't all have the same political associations. They don't even all play the same games. Why would they react the same way to brand messaging? So my advice to brands and to media agencies too is just experiment. Um, what I would say is study the behavior and study the right kind of channels, but think about it as an omnichannel approach. Gamers are fans of particular games and particular personalities. They do also like particular platforms. Clearly, they really love Twitch. They really love Discord. They really love YouTube. But core to that behavior is they really have the game and they love the personalities that they like to watch play. Mm-hmm. And they like their friends. And it's a very social thing. And I think that's the other thing you know, that a lot of older advertising executives still don't understand. We grew up, you know, Atari age and thereafter, mostly playing you know, our competition was not, our games are not really multiplayer as much as they were against the game itself. Yeah. And there's still this, for some reason, this kind of idea in people's heads that games are a solitary thing. They're wildly social, which is why, you know, I've been having a lot of fun here at Davos this week, explaining to people that all of this excitement about the future of what the metaverse could be, literally their 15 year olds are doing it for hours a day. <laughs> it's already here. Yeah. It's, it's happening. Like, yeah. you know, I was, I was just saying, it's like, we're all, you know, some of the uh, smartest, most important people in the world flew to Switzerland to talk about what their kids have been doing for the last 10 years. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that that's re- really important to remember. Like you have to get in an experiment. And I think the other thing is, um, while there certainly is a, a, a building interest and capability in advertising in game, I don't think that's necessarily, it's, it's definitely not a native ad um, area for lots of types of games, especially the bigger games, right? You're like, you're never going to see an ad in Fortnite. You're not going to see, you may see brands, but they're going to be authentically part of a other entertainment experience, a skin or something like that. You're not going to see ad messaging. Mm-hmm. But the good news is there are millions of hours of Fortnite content on Twitch and YouTube that you can have a native linear ad experience with. And so... That's one of the things that we're trying to unlock and educate brands about and media agencies. Um, But I think the most important thing is just to get in there and experiment. And I think the danger is not that you'll be seen as inauthentic or you'll be seen as old and out of touch. This is not punk rock anymore. This has gone full mainstream, right? You you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to be isolated and ostracized from gamer world. They will let you back in, but they won't if you don't start trying and experimenting and figure it out. And I think the real danger is you really have to remember that while it got scary for a lot of um, television advertisers when streaming started to happen and Netflix became the biggest thing ever and there's zero ads on it, and now there's probably going to be ads on it. But remember that underlying this whole video game world and esports world is that 80% of game revenues generated by free-to-play games. And think about that. It, the games are for they cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make and they give them away for free mm-hmm. and the billions of dollars that are being created you know if there's about 
200, just over 200 billion in, in revenue generated by the video game industry this year. And 80% of that's going to be through free, free to play games. And that money is being paid for largely cosmetic items. It doesn't actually change the, the game itself. And the monetization is on a very small percentage of that audience. In some cases, less than 5% of the audience. Um, so if you think about all that, there's billions of dollars, potentially like $160 billion without an ad being served in a really rich entertainment environment that has no ads in it. The danger is that the ad community does not figure out a way to get that ad messaging in and it just sort of moves on and, yeah. it, and it leaves that behind. And I think that's the part where, it, you know, agencies and brands really need to start thinking creatively and experimenting on these platforms more. Yeah, l lest you miss out on the entire thing. Um, last question, and this is the one um, I've been looking forward to since the first question. Are you still playing games? And if so, what are you playing? I do. Uh, so, uh, you know, like you, I've been playing my whole life. Um, I'm almost 50, and so it's been a long time. Um, but what I can tell you is, you know, I have sort of migrated with age away from games that I just get my butt kicked in all the time because it's not that much uh, so currently I'm playing a, a lot of a mobile game called Clash Royale that, uh, our friends at Supercell make, which I think is really awesome. Kind of quick, you know, few minutes, I get my competition in and I get to beat some anonymous other gamer. Um, and it only takes a few minutes and it's strategic and fun. And there's a little bit of speed and visual acuity required, but it's, it's no Fortnite or Call of Duty Warzone. Ah, well, there you go. My The last game I played just yesterday was Call of Duty Warzone, and I'm here to tell you. It's just, a great game. Yeah, it Love is. It is. I'm a glutton for punishment, though, apparently, because <laughs> I have absolutely, despite, uh, I've been with Call of Duty since the very beginning, and I've never gotten yeah. any better at it. So yeah, <laughs> there you have it. Um, Mike, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Richard. And when can, where can uh, people find out more about Vindex? Uh, Vindex.gg um, or any of our social channels just at Vindex on just about every platform. Perfect. Well, thanks for being on. Marketers need to know their ad spend is making an impact now more than ever. With Mountain's self-serve marketing software, Performance TV, you can track how your connected TV budget is performing down to the last decimal. It automatically optimizes campaigns thousands of times using real-time data to ensure every ad is served with your goal in mind. Visit mountain.com to learn more. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.